Welcome to the show. We hope you have a blast. Thanks for making time for the Dealer Talk Podcast. Another business leader, here's a penny for your thoughts. This ain't no regular conversation, baby. This that Dealer Talk. Yeah, this that Dealer Talk. What up? Welcome to another episode of the Dealer Talk Podcast. This is your host, Herb Anderson. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's check in with our co-host, Miss Charity Ann. What's up, Charity? What is up? Happy podcast day. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Right on. I see you got your tea in hand. Mm-hmm. It's starting to get so cold. Here. It's 80 degrees. That's hilarious. So there's this post on Instagram I saw the other day that said, "Did you know if you have a if you start your morning with a cup of green tea instead of your coffee, you will reduce by 87% the little bit of joy you have in your life." And I was like, "Oh my god, that's awesome." So the, the reason I have tea this morning is because I didn't have a chance to go on my coffee run, which is an absolute tragedy. I just feel like I'm dragging. So, so good. Special shout out again to our friends over at Lot Links. Whoop, whoop. Thank you for the swag, Lot Links team. He's just rubbing it in now. So, um, hey, you got a dealer talk swag. Shout so. out to my dealer talk. There you go. Swag purchaser. You remember that one time when you had a really cool dealer talk mug? I do, but Lotlink sent me this one and it has like a like a nice brain here. And then it's got lot links in the front. And you know, I love it. And that's not product placement, folks. It's a genuine um I just I love them. I think they're great. I think they're doing some pretty amazing things. And you should check them out. Anyway, all right. So before we get into um, into this week's episode, I wanted to uh, talk about a couple of things. The first thing, which I'm really, really excited about, is our very first event, which is called a fill a cart event. And basically, what we're going to do is we're going to be partnering up with the local grocery store in the Las Vegas area, and we're going to be uh, pretty much filling a cart of food for. Uh, for families in need. Uh, and we're, this is going to be happening next month during during Thanksgiving. Um, and we're just super excited, man. Like um, we've put together a budget of, of about $4,500 between ourselves and uh, some of our partners. Uh, so shout out to Run My Lease and a shout out to Covideo for participating with us in our very first event. Mm-hmm. Um for me, this is a very, um, it's kind of, obviously it's near and dear to, to my soul because I believe that, you know, I believe that it's up to the individual, like you're responsible for your, for your path in life. But the one excuse, the one excuse that's valid is hunger is not having the energy to wake up every day. And get things done. I know personally what it's like to be profoundly hungry. And I know what that feels like. And I know that when you don't have the energy to just get up, man, and and do your day, like, um, it's near impossible to, to, to accomplish your goals and to be responsible for, for your day. So I don't know, Cherry, did you want to add anything? I fully agree. I'm super excited about this event. This is, like Herb said, the first one that we're doing. And we're excited to do more of them as the years go on. But 
this this project is very near and dear to our hearts and we are very excited about it so we've got some yeah, so. information that we'll put into the show notes about it and if you want to help we can just reach out to us and we can set that up yeah so if you're a dealership um listening to this or if you're a vendor listening to this and you want to participate and you want to make that pot sweeter and bigger so we can help more people uh, please go to the show notes, uh, fill out the form and uh, either charity or myself or reach out or just, you know, give us a call, um, you know, email us. All our contact information is in the show notes as well. Um, my cell phone number 702-526-0900. Again, 702-526-0900. Anything helps. Um, and um, yeah, we're super excited to do this and uh, for this to be our first one. And um, hopefully as the years go, go by, we can get more and more contributions. We can, uh, raise more, more money and we can feed more people. Awesome. And then again, shout out to Jared Neves and Terry McSpadden from run my lease and co-video for graciously, um, getting on board with us early and, um, yeah, uh, yeah, it means a lot that you guys were were will, so willing and so quickly willing to to join us on this cause. So thank you. So next thing is um, I want to talk about our sponsor, man, Four Eyes. Um, like uh, it, it's not we're not obligated, by the way. So I just want to clear that out because. Um, you know, it's important to me to talk about things that I feel help dealerships move the needle, whether they're partners with us, whether they, they're a part of our, our community or whether they're just, you know, they just listen to this for information, uh, information purposes or visit our website for information purposes. Um, and Four Eyes is one of those companies that we believe in. We've seen them work over and over and over again. They're very dealer centric, which is, mm -hmm. you know, th that's why I partner with uh, companies that have the same mindset like we do here, which is to help dealers win more. Um, and and th this company definitely is that. And I think their product set right now, like they have, um, you know, different uh, um, different uh, products uh, like um they have a lead widget capture. So if you're, if you're losing leads, they can help you make sure that that's, that, uh, that's minimized. Um, they have their emailing platform um, and they have some other alternatives uh, that might fit your current operation, but their main product, the email product is probably my favorite because especially in this market, we're in an alternative based uh, market, right? Customers, don't know if they can get the car that they want. And oftentimes they have to settle and having a company that plugs into your website and learns your, and learns behaviors, right. That are occurring on your site and then puts that information in front of the right customer through subscription, by the way. So that tells you that that customer is really interested in receiving that information. Uh, I, I think it's, it's brilliant and they'll give it to you for free. They'll let you try it out. I think they're doing, uh, for, for people that, that use our link 60 day trial, I think, or at, or at least a 30 day trial. So you have nothing to lose, go sign up, try it and come to your own conclusions. I mean, I haven't, I don't know a single store that turned them on and, uh, was like, oh no, this doesn't, 
this doesn't work. And then you can see it working for you on the CRM as well. You can see oh, that yeah. communication firing out and then you can see that coming back. I mean, Charity, you as a BDC manager, what are your thoughts? I love four eyes and you can like completely see it in the computer system. Um, it'll say when, or they'll send you a report and it shows you who clicked on what and when they clicked on it and how many times if they open the email and which things they clicked in the email and four eyes is great. It just works in the background and, and, um, super easy to get a hold of. I like working with them all. Yeah. It's a great product. It's one of my favorites. I recommend it to everybody that I, that I work with. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, what's interesting to me is that in my mind, like websites should already have that product built in. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's funny that they've, they built a business off of it because the, you know, and I, I know I got a little bit passionate on our website conversation last week, but like these websites, man, they're just hollow. They do nothing. They mm-hmm. don't learn. They don't, there's no AI. There's no cu- customer behavior analysis. There's nothing. There's just nothing on the, on the inside of these websites. It's just front front, front facing. Um, but a product like that should already be a part of the website. It should be, you know what I mean? Like built in. And so, um, and if it's not, then it, yeah, we've got an alternative for you. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. So anyway, shout out to four eyes for partnering with us. We're, we're going now on two seasons, you know, uh, mm-hmm. they're, they've been our full sponsor for two seasons and we love working with them. So go to the show notes, check them out absolutely free um uh to to turn it on at your store so give it a world anyways so um let's talk about some automotive news so automotive news today um herb's got a bunch of them but i got i got ooh, that was bad english i have one um hey herbert did Mm -hmm. you know that opec plus has announced that they are cutting production by two million barrels a day of oil and the europe and and the u.s are pretty pissed off about it going so far as to accuse them of aggression aggressive actions but um because that's a significant amount of oil. No, but what's the reduction for? Oh, what's the reduction for? Um, what's the cost? Because they can. It doesn't really say why. It no, just got to be a. Well, hang on. Um, it says that the assumption is that they are responding to the United States because the United States just uh, looking to limit Russia. And, Russian President Putin's ability to pay for his war in Ukraine. Leaders from the U.S., Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, and the U.K. and the EU agreed last month to place a cap on Russian crude oil. Um, And then immediately OPEC Plus responded and said, within within like a week or two, they responded and said, well, we're cutting production. So now they're all pissed off at each other. The article that I'm reading said that 
the U.S. has taken a lot of oil out of the market from sanctions, and the tendency is to turn to the Gulf and say, hey, we need more oil. They feel they're, the OPEC feels they're being constantly asked to step up and fix market conditions that are not entirely of their own making. Well, I mean, obviously, those are those are motives beyond what I want to talk about here. The well, only yeah. the only impact that I see for that is obviously pricing. Mm -hmm. So that's the big the big issue is that that's gonna they're assuming that that's. I mean, dude, we're already at five, five, four dollars, right? Well, and it's the biggest cut that OPEC has done since COVID. Yeah, but so, I wonder what it's going to be. What if, if that? Yeah, if they're anticipating the um, an increase in price per barrel. So here's to seeing what that does to gas prices for that Wrangler at this spot. Well, Tesla stock is going to go up. Yeah, with their 1.1 million recalls. Yeah, but everybody has recalls. Yeah, like Ray it's not. Said, that's if not, you have somebody on a Tesla, sell it now. <laughs> no, dude. Like, um, it, the cool thing about about them is that a lot of these recalls they can do. They're going to be able to do OTA. Like a lot of these fixes, they can do OTA. That's badass. Now this one, the window one, you're gonna have to go to a dealership. But anyway, but yeah, I mean, can you imagine if it gets to like seven or eight bucks? I mean, no. if five dollars was like, you know, can you imagine seven dollars, eight dollars? Years and years and years ago, I went probably like 15, 20 years ago. I went to Alaska on a mini vacation, and was mind blown by the price of things up there. Like milk was $6 a gallon and it, it wasn't even a big deal that the gas prices were expensive and the milk was expensive and everything. And I think we got it good where we live. <laughs> yeah. I mean, $6 yeah. a gallon. Can you imagine? Yeah. Well, I can't because I don't, I, you know, because you don't, I don't use gas, so. You just have aggressively, um, windows that aggressively roll up. <laughs> it's okay. I, I never roll my windows down anyway. There's no need. So. You never roll your windows down? No. You and I drive but, so differently. I like I do, want I, it, all the windows down, the top off, like. Yeah, I do think of. I don't know if anybody, maybe, I don't know if even you, if, if anybody ever saw that movie, Love Potion Number 9, <laughs> one of Sandra Bullock's first movies. And she's like, she's her car is this jalopy Italian brand <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> and she goes, there's a scene where she goes to open and the car is like just a mess, right? Like everything's falling off. And, and she goes to open the door and this guy sees the car and he's like speaking in Italian and stuff. And it's like, oh, this is a blah, blah, blah. And she's like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, I'm the owner. I made this car. And <laughs> that's what I, that's kind of like what I feel right now with, with the Tesla. It's like a good concept, but it, you know, it's got a lot of little things that it's not the best well-made car. Let's put it. Tell that me way. what little things. Just it's very noisy. Um, the the door handles are very flimsy. 
it's just you know you could tell that there's there's some things that are you know cost cutting um because <laughs> your head gets sunburnt so yeah and then there's a the, the, <laughs> you know i had to put that protector on there because it was like dude you're scorching my head man I'm gonna go like <laughs> head skin cancer so um, you're like wearing baseball caps i told even you. still i said i, I would I, like to say that when he bought that thing i was gonna i said is that sunroof gonna be a problem for you <laughs> I still love it. I still love it. I think the the technology of it, it's just, it's exciting, man. It's exciting because it's a different way. It's just a different way, which leads me to one of my points that I wanted to talk about today. And it's this article, and I'll just give you kind of like the excerpt, but <clears throat> it says that consumers don't understand autonomous vehicles. And, and it reads, consumers don't share the auto industry's excitement about autonomous vehicles and are uncomfortable having them transport people according to the JD Power 2022 Mobility Confidence Index. Part of the reason for the mistrust, uh, JD Power experts say, is a lack of knowledge about those vehicles due to confusion messaging from the industry. So um, I wanna talk about that a little bit because I read S Steve Greenfield's book. He, um, we were in a meeting and he gave us a copy and I read that like in a day and a half. And then I bought the audio version and I've been listening to that. I think I've listened to it twice already. And it's um, it's really awesome because I love how he starts the book. It's futuristic and he's narrating an experience that I hope I can, I can get to see in my lifetime. Because if I do, that means that we've completely left the transportation as it is today into something that's truly unique and different. And it goes something like, you know, your car, uh, you know, John or whatever, I can't remember the character's names, but he's on his way to work. The car basically tells him, Hey, you know, you need milk at home. We can stop and get it, or I can drop you off and pick it up after. Um, the, the car interacts with you. It tells you, Hey, you, you, I can go pick up your dry cleaning tomorrow at 10. What time do you want me to take you to the office? And it's a full autonomous experience, level five. Um, and, and to me, that's what that's what the future is. Not the flying car, none of that BS that you know we oftentimes joke about. But it's the ability of of um, fusing the technology that's available today with the transportation of the past, and kind of coming up with something that's truly unique and different. And that's full autonomous transportation that, that um, just enhances our life, you know? That's when I think about technology, that's what it should do. It should make our life easier, it should make our life better, it should make our life fun. And oftentimes I feel the opposite of that. So, so I don't know, I think it's kind of cool. I have a lot of thoughts. First of all, I find it ironic that that's, I've just read an article and I almost brought it up and now I'm going to that Uber signed a contract with a company called Motional for 10 years. Um, and they're working on autonomous taxis. And I was reading that article and this like sense of panic was coming up <laughs> inside of me. And I kept thinking if I was like in Las Vegas and I ordered an Uber and a car showed up without a driver in it, I don't think I would get in. But that so happens in Vegas already. I'm sure it does, but I wouldn't like that would freak me out completely. So I'm 100% that person, but 
um, the Steve Greenfield thing. It's like that that quote that you said the other day that Jeff Bezos, a conversation we were having about he wouldn't have been able to do the things that he's done if the things weren't in place. And and as you're talking about that image, I think of my my Alexa, who just thinks I'm waking her up. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny um, that you have to like whisper uh, yeah whisper that <laughs> <laughs> um being attached to my car in that way that would be awesome or um elon musk is, wants to make twitter into one of those super apps which i'd never even heard of a super app until i read those articles and they're a thing and you can do all kinds of stuff with them like order your food and order a pay for things and order a car to pick you up. So if you put all of those things into your vehicle, that'd be cool. Yeah. And you know, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's because I, I spend so much time on the road or whatever, but just the ability, the, the, the concept of getting time back, right. Mm -hmm. Getting time back and being able to do more um, and still be able to move. You know what I mean? And then being able to, you know, have that be an assistant sort of like, you know, imagine picking up your clothes and picking up your groceries and even making you money. Like, you know, when you're at work, like we were talking about this early on in the season and you said, well, did you know that 90% of the time your car is parked? Well, what if that time the car is parked, it's out there making you cash, right? Driving mm -hmm. people or moving people around. Which, if you think about it, if we get to all level five, then that's probably not going to be a thing because, you know, like it's yeah. But be, for a while, but, it'll be a thing. But for a while, yeah, where exactly. People are made rich, right? So, I mean, I don't know, man. It's just maybe it's just my, you know, I just want something better, man. I just want. I feel like like we're so archaic when it comes to. Uh, just the, the what makes up a vehicle in the world that we live in today. And I just know that there's better there. The technology already exists. The ability to do something better already exists. Um, it's just a matter of connecting it together. Yeah. And it's exciting. It's exciting to see that. It's exciting to know that that's, that that's on the horizon, that that's not, I mean, I'm not saying tomorrow, but maybe in the next 20, 30 years, what's that going to look like? I guess you we, know? I guess we've got to do it ourselves. First. So, Anyway, um, another one that I, I wanted to share about, but that's more on the personal side for me, if I can find it. So there's this article on NADA that talks about the title is great mentors and hard work have helped Venezuelan auto dealer Boris Lopez succeed. And so I just, you know, obviously me being Venezuelan and seeing this, it's kind of dope. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I, I, I mean, this has nothing to do with anything other with the, than the fact that the guy's from Venezuela. But um, what I like about about this is that he talks about um, the power of mentorship in the automotive industry and being being somebody that came from. I mean, things in in Venezuela are are horrific. They're horrible. They're it's it's just a really bad way of existing. Um, and to be able to come to this country and have these opportunities, but the, you know, again, to talk about why I love this industry so much 
it's because you find people in the industry that take an interest in you and they take you under your wing and they invest their time and their knowledge and their effort into you. And that changes your life, dude. It just changes your life. You don't know how powerful um, that act is. And I see that over and over again in this, in this industry. Um, people willing to do that, people willing to take an interest in certain individuals for whatever reason and pushing them kind of into their destiny. And that's, it's, it's awesome. So when you say that you would be able to be where you are on your own. No, I don't think anybody could like impossible. Like you need people. So you who need are the people, people to take an interest in you. You need people to believe in you. You need people to tell you that you're better. You need people to see you better than you see yourself, right? Because for me, I'm my worst critic. Like nobody has to tell me that I'm fucking up, right? Like I, I know that before anybody. You know what I'm saying? Like mm -hmm. I know that before anybody. And I'm, I'm harder on myself than anybody's ever going to be on me. But you know, you, that's why you need people to see your potential because they, you know, like we're very, it's funny, but we will say the kindest thing to a total stranger and we don't have a kind word for ourselves sometimes. Oh yeah. Which, which is nuts. I was so. there. Um, the see you at the top. Oh yeah. Um, I was listening to it. Um, oh, dude. Zig Ziglar. Ziglar. Zig Ziglar. Um, and I'm going to butcher this, but he was saying, you know, life's really hard. And if you're the kind of person who's like, my life's so hard, then you're having the best life ever because you're exactly where you're expecting yourself to be. And you're not pushing past it at all. And you're not saying, you know what? Screw that. Let's push on and do something more. And having those people around you that that can, my a phrase that I a quote that I learned when I was a kid was, "I lift thee and thee lift me and we will rise together." Like you have to have, you have to have people around you, mm -hmm. and then being able to state who they are, you know, being able to say, "Hey, that person right there influenced me and helped me to be where I am today." For sure, for sure. So yeah, no, I. For you, yeah. name one of them. Uh, my mentors. Mm -hmm. um, number one, probably be uh, Frank. Frank Ramoni. I've mentioned him. I think I've mentioned him on a couple of episodes. But dude, I didn't know anything about anything about writing service or talking to customers. Nothing. And you know, this guy was like diligent every day. You know, every day, come on, let's go here. You do this, you do that. Try this, try the other, say it this way. Um, and when you, in the beginning, it's always, for me, that experience was a little bit weird because I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And I was always like apprehensive maybe, or, you know, wondering why is this guy like, why me? Like, why is he taking such an interest? Um, but then he was so consistent with it. He was so consistent with it and he always took the time to like point out the lesson and um, yeah, and, 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 and I saw the results, you know, I saw my life getting better. I saw my income improve. I saw 
you know, the way that I, I was thinking about things started to change. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, for me being in this country, not having any family here, not having, you know, my dad died four months after I got here. So I didn't have any influence. I didn't have anybody to teach me anything from anything. And to have a perfect stranger kind of take that kind of interest was exactly what I needed at that time. Who knows? You know, I could have gone in a totally different direction or somebody with a bad intention or bad mindset, bad philosophy could have, you know, could have done the yeah, opposite. Right? Really run into somebody who said, oh, you're never going to make it. You're never going to do anything. Right. So, um, yeah. So I'd say him for sure. But, you know, there's and then there's other people along the way. And then then you feel obligated to kind of pay it back. That's why I, I, I believe in, you know, you got to reach back and bring somebody with you. Right. When you're when you reach certain levels, you got to you got to go back and, and take somebody. You know, I mean, I'm not complaining about that philosophy that you have at all. So. What was that? I said, I'm not complaining about that philosophy that you have at all. Yeah, but then you got to pay it. Right. <laughs> Then you got to do the same thing. That's the price. It's the price. So, anyways, so there was that one. And then there's another one here. This one was interesting. And it has to do about digital auto retailing. But the headline reads, human touch and car retailing, not necessarily human digital auto retailing is getting more personal. That's positive because online shoppers like the, like the human touch, even if it comes from non-human software. So say automotive, uh, panelists who spoke during a Reuters webinar entitled, um, wow, the customer in the decade of, uh, transformation, digital personalization, or the systematic ability to use artificial intelligence to get to know an individual respond to online car shoppers used to be uh, operationally expensive, but today the barriers are getting lower. So what that what comes to me with that is, again, I'm gonna talk about websites. I'm gonna try to do it in a way where my thoughts are coherent and my passion isn't dripping out of my face. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but dude, like, where are these personalization touch points on your digital dealership? Where can you tell me that you can't have an AI uh, bot or something that pops up on your website and says, hi, I'm Sam, like the, the bot that you see on all these different things. And it's like, you know, I can answer your questions and personalize your experience and talk about you know, features and benefits and just be more interactive. Like, I don't know, man, like, where is that stuff? Why are our websites so blah? Like, I don't get it. Like, you can have a bunch of these websites are still on WordPress. Like, where's the technology? Why are we, how can we charge a dealership two, twenty-five, three thousand, four thousand dollars for a website that does nothing? I don't get it. Like, if you're going to charge that money, that website better freaking know everything about that customer. It should be studying that customer behavior. It should be spitting data out to you. You should be able to run Facebook ads, Google ads straight from there. You should be able to sync it up to your inventory and manage your inventory through your website on some sort of a backend portal. It should be emailing customers. You should be collecting first party data. Like it should be this massive thing. And it just doesn't do any of that. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. 
but we waste all this time on on trying to sell a car online and 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 we can't even sell a freaking wiper blade you know what i mean like i oh. anyway <laughs> end rant it just uh, there's got to be we got to do better folks i mean we're talking about autonomous cars that are going to drive us around and pick up our our dry cleaning and our websites we websites make me think of <clears throat> like when you when you're looking to buy a new house or a, a, and you go in and everything looks really pretty and then you start opening drawers and you're like oh so this house looks really pretty on the exterior <laughs> but it's not even that because if you think about it these the okay I'm going to prove my point right now. If you're listening to this and you have any of the traditional website providers and you have to buy SEO on top of your website package, you already know you're getting fucked. I'm sorry, but that's the reality because there's no way, there's no reason why you should be paying extra money to have a technically SEO sound website at all. If you have to pay extra for that, come on. I mean, I rest my case. Like, for real. And every single website provider out there, and I mean every single one, because I've checked them all. If you go into them, they're not technically sound. They have schema markup issues. They have title tag issues. They have issues on the technical side of their SEO. And that should not exist. That should not exist. If you're a website provider, then make a fucking good website, a good SEO website that stands on its own. Yeah, content, I get that. You're going to have to, that's what you should pay for, somebody to write content. But to go in there and change your, your H1 tags and to mm -hmm. make sure your schema markup is properly well, configured. Well, and then that needs to be the, understand the difference between paying somebody to do that stuff and paying somebody for content. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's my, that, I mean, that alone says a lot about where we are on the state. And then they have the audacity to charge $4,000 for their website. Mm -hmm. Like, come on, man. And then we pay it. You know what I mean? You better off taking that $4,000 and going and hiring a developer and having built you a site. I mean, I'm serious. Like, I know you can't because there's OEM restrictions. I get all that. And I understand that you're kind of screwed because you have to buy what the OEM says. But, uh, dude, I, uh, yeah. It's Again, a wrap. I'm trying to keep it positive. So Keep it positive. <laughs> Let's move on. I've already dropped two F-bombs. I know. I'm like, are we telling Luis to beep you out? No. Beep. No. Leave all that shit in there. Anyway, <laughs> do you do you have do you have another one? No, that was mine. That's yours. I I was being lazy this week. All right. Well, that's it for automotive news, folks. That's Let's it. Let's talk about our blog post of the week. Blog post of the week. So we have been. We name dropped a little bit earlier um, with Covideo. Covideo is one of our partners. And <clears throat> so they offer a, a suite of services that are centered around. No, dude, you're talking about the wrong one. Am I talking about 
your own one? I thought you wanted yeah. to talk about co-video and that was Did we talk we about Fix Ops Digital already? We did, didn't we, on the last one? Mm-hmm. We did? Yeah, we did because we had Mike Vogel on. Mm-hmm. That's what the email is. It's all fixed up. Okay. Yeah, never mind. From the top. Now you threw me off. <clears throat> Blog post in the week. So she's laughing because we just messed that up and we've had to redo it. <laughs> and so they're going to cut portion out. And now she's like, you threw me off. So anyway, just for context, go. Just for context and not yeah. to throw me off more. Um, so we name dropped a little bit with one of our sponsors is CoVideo. CoVideo is... Well, hold on. Let's clarify. They're not a sponsor. Okay. They're one of our partners. Again, just you take it. No, no. Go for it. You're doing a good job. You got it, kid. <laughs> one of our partners is CoVideo. They offer a suite of video, um, a suite of services, I can't do this. No. Mm -mm. Okay. So, uh, you know, <laughs> here's how the big boys do it. So, <laughs> okay. So COVID is one of our partners. Um, we work with them on, in the field with dealers. And one of the reasons that we like their, their suite of products is because it adds a twist with, with video. So, it's an it's basically an OCPO. It's like an owner's uh, communication platform. It integrates with your DMS and it segments communication in, in different um, um, you know stages of the ownership journey, right? And one of the things that we believe here at uh, DTVMS or Dealer Talk Vendor Management Solution is that um, your DMS is your most valuable asset as a dealership, right? Those are customers that have said yes to you, that continue to say yes to you every single month by servicing their vehicle at your, or not every single month, we wish, but every single year by servicing their vehicle at your stores. And so, um, you know, being able to have a post-purchase strategy, communication strategy, that's right message, right customer, right time, is paramount. Oftentimes in discovery conversations with stores, I always find out that nobody's thinking about that. Like they have no post, um, post purchase, uh, marketing strategy at all. And that's the cheapest customer and the most valuable customer because they, they, again, they've already said yes to you and you can reach them with an email, right? Which costs you nothing. Uh, so, so, um, you know, that's where Covidio comes in. They do a fantastic job at that. They have three touch points with mail, email, and text messages. And the text message one is one that I'm really excited about. So imagine being able to have that high open rate, which I think it's 98%, and then attach a personalized video in these different moments of your ownership journey. If, the, if, if we talk about the purchasing journey being all this jumbled up lines, right, to end up in a car, the, the ownership journey is not like that. It's a straight line, man. You know, you own this car and you know, in these different segments, you're going to need these different services uh, or you're going to require these different uh, touch points with your customers. And if you do that effectively, then that customer is going to come in if they spend the first two years. I mean, the statistics show if they spend the first two years coming back to your store, 
then you're more likely to keep that customer for life. And that's what we want, right? Loyal customers that are coming back. And then their platform is super dope because the reporting shows you the segmented years. So you can see the impact on customers that haven't been in your store two, three, four, even five years out. And then you see those trigger communications going out and you see the customer coming back. So if you're looking, if you're thinking about the long-term game, they're a fantastic partner to have. And so that's why we we wanted to, to kind of showcase them on, on this week's uh, blog post. And if you notice the trend here, every week we've been talking about partners that we work with because we want to share that information, man. Like if you're not working with us, then at least you have access to to connect with these folks and um, implement them at your store and, and get some extra wins. I think me personally, I think that um, it's that's critical to have right now because we are in a very uncertain times, like the financial situation and then the shortage situation. We don't know how that's going to impact the front of the house, the variable side of the house, but we can always rely on our fixed ops and having those strategies in place to get those customers coming back at those specific moments is, is super important. It's key right now, in my opinion. And you don't want to wait, right, till you're like, oh my God, what am I going to do? You know, how am I going to pay the bills? Like start building that now. Anyway, any, any additional thoughts? No, I bow to your skills. That was, that was impressive, huh? It was impressive. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. So, so it's, it's pretty good, man. Like if, again, if you're, um, if you go to the show notes, we're going to have a link, check it out, click on it, learn more. Um, and then you can schedule or request a demo from them. And, um, yeah, they're super, super dope. And if you want to reach out to me directly, just give me a call, send me a DM me, whatever, find me on LinkedIn and I'll connect you directly with my guy over there, Terry McSpadden, who's a super awesome dude. And, um, yeah, and uh, it can get you going. So, and if you missed it, Herb gave his, uh, cell phone number twice earlier in this episode. I've given my cell phone on, on this show so many times. Now more than ever, businesses need more efficient sales. That's why thousands of dealerships trust Four Eyes to help with things like automated inventory email updates and ensuring all of your leads get into the CRM. To try Four Eyes for free, visit foureyes.io/dealertalk. That's foureyes.io slash dealer talk. It's time. It is time to introduce our super awesome guest of the week, Mr. Chris Martinez. Um, very excited to talk to this uh, gentleman. We're going to have an awesome conversation, I'm sure of it. So without further ado, let's introduce Mr. Chris Martinez. All right, Chris Martinez on the show. Welcome, man. We're super excited to have you. How you doing? I'm doing really good, man. Thank you for having me on. Cool. Cool, man. Yeah, this is going to be a good conversation. Uh, we kick things off with a background, so tell us about you. Well, you know, I've been in the, the automotive space for about uh, 20 years now. Uh, I started, uh, I was 22 years old, a one, one month away from being 23, and um, I started my career at CarMax kind of, you know, went to work my way up the ranks and I went to, uh, from there, I went to Universal Toyota, 
then I went from there, you know, selling 30 cars a month, making good money. Thought, man, this is going to be the, you know, I'm going to be a salesman for the rest of my life. Um, and then from there, uh, one of the, the general manager managing, um, the, the general manager at the time at that Toyota store took me to another Toyota store um, where we took a store from selling 150 cars a month to over 1,000 cars a month. And, um, and it's been a great journey. You know, I've written a couple books. From there, I went to uh, build some software. Um, we've done really good with that software. And um, since then, I've now, I'm helping run, you know, five franchises in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So uh, that's kind of where I'm at now. Um, but it's, it's been great. You know, we've, uh, we've been doing some, some good things and it's, you know, it's, it's been a lot of fun. That's awesome, man. Yeah. The, the kind of like the, the spectrum there of the career and the experiences, um, you know, but you know, it's, uh, the volume games always kind of been my thing. You know, when I was at CarMax, well, you know, I helped open, um, five different stores out there. We did, did a lot, had a lot of fun there. I was a manager there for, you know, six, seven years. Um, the store I was at, we were selling 700 used cars a month. Wow. Um, so I've always kind of like, you know, seen that. And then when I went to the Toyota store where I was selling, you know, 30 plus cars a month, um, I was also their assistant uh, internet director. So helping them, you know, it was, it was pretty instrumental in seeing how, how to, to scale that, that business on, on the traditional side. And we were selling 660 cars a month there. And then to go to the other Toyota store and go to over a thousand, I mean, it's been a lot of fun. And now I'm at the group I'm at today, um, they were selling 400 cars a month and now we're doing over 600 cars a month. So it's, it's been a lot of fun. So let's talk about that really quick, because that's one that I've, um, you know, obviously that that's been, when I have these consult consultative conversations, it's always about that. That's the ultimate goal, right? I want to sell more cars. And yeah, I get that. But um, how do you, in your opinion, what's the e not not easiest because, you know, things take the, the amount of time that they're going to take. But what is the best way or the most efficient way to take a car like like, you know, or to take a store, excuse me, from 400 to like, say, 600? So first, it's it's really a lot of, you know, I look at a lot of the how, how are the quick lifts like, you know, is your close ratio right? Do they have, you know, the right um, staff? Are they staffed appropriately? Do they have the right amount of inventory? Um, I look at their marketing plan. Um, the marketing plan is probably the, the biggest or the quickest lift that you can do generally, um, just because a lot of times they're, you know, most dealers are either underspending or don't have the right strategy. Um, and, you know, there's a, a saying that goes, you know, if they don't know you, they, you know, like the, the best known product is better than the best product. Right. So, you know, marketing is, you know, okay. is a big part of what, what it is. But in reality, when it comes down to like the basics, you know, close ratio, making sure you, the, the, you, you have the right amount of leads per per sales staff, um, you know, you're not, you know, feeding one person more than the other. You kind of have them evenly dispersed. Um, just the just the quick little things that you can really just drive big results. Um, that's kind of what I focus on first, but then it's the, the marketing plan. So it's, yeah. So I always struggle with that one because it's just my experience. Right. But, um, I've never walked into a store. Let me think about that for a second before I make that statement. I don't think I've ever been in a store where I've been like, 
dude, you guys got a leap problem, man. Like you're just not getting enough juice. Like I, I'm serious. Like maybe they have the wrong amount of leads. Like I know back in the day with the KBB ICO stuff, you know, so you get these, you get a bunch of leads, but you know, you're closing at like less than 1%. So those would, those are easy to pinpoint and eliminate. Right. But for the most part, you're getting a lot of leads. You're getting a lot of activity, but the closing percentage and the, the, the follow-up and you know you go into these crms and you see one or two phone calls and then no interaction for like a month you know what i mean or you see that they're closing or they're killing leads and they only call the customer one time and then they're marking it bad so that there's no processes turned on for that specific lead you know i feel like that's that's been my experience where i walk into these stores and i see more of that stuff then it's like oh well and then the other thing too is, and this is this is a, a question, right? So, do you think that having do you, is that do you think that that's the 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 I don't want to say metric or KPI, but do you think that that's the you know like if you turn that on, is that is 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 that effective? Because sometimes having less kind of motivates you to do more because you're getting less. Whereas if you have an abundance of it, then you're more likely to be like, well, you know, I have so much that I, you know what I'm saying? Well, part of it is when I look at it, like where you have salespeople that will get like a hundred leads, right. Or 150. I've been, I've been involved in stores where I walk in and you got like three people doing all the leads and you've got 20 salespeople and you're like, well, that's problem number one. Right. Oh my God. And, uh, so awesome. so now you gotta, you gotta make sure each salesperson's getting, a minimum of 40 leads, a maximum of 60. That's generally like the sweet spot. You don't want to, you don't want anybody getting any more than that. They just can't handle them. Then they start mm -hmm. and then the close ratio goes away. Um, so that usually is the quickest lift. The minute you do that, I mean, you can see a lift in numbers relatively quickly, right? Um, then you start looking at your close ratio, seeing are the right people answering the right, are the right people answering the leads? Are they, are you ensuring that um, you have a cadence, you know, like, is there a follow-up cadence? Is there something there that's in place that, you know, if your salesperson's not following up, are they, are there automated emails going out? Um, those little things right there can help drive a close ratio up. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, when I, when I look at stores, I, I go in and those are generally like the first things that I do. Right? I go, okay, so how are we, you know, is our traffic up or down year over year? You know, who's handling the leads and, you know, how's your follow-up process and what, what does that look like? And, and once you kind of go in there and clean that kind of stuff up, I mean, you can immediately, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's just a quick jump, right? Um, and then you kind of go through and look at your marketing plan and see, okay, where are you not spending money? And then mm -hmm. where are you spending money to make sure it is, like those KBB ICO leads, are you just wasting some money, right? So mm -hmm. those are the kind of things I look at. Um, and you can you can literally go in and, you know, if, if you drop me in any store today, I, I can literally go in and just, you know, immediately see it make an impact and you, you'd see the numbers go up substantially. So and that's kind of what, what I've been doing now for quite some time. So it's been a lot of fun. Do you have any, when you walk in any, red flags like you walk into a dealership and immediately know that it's going to be harder than other dealerships to work like what are some of the ones that are like ah oh, oh crap well 
generally it's it's the tenured dealers, right? The ones that have had the same people there for a hundred years, right? Those are generally <laughs> the hardest ones because you got a lot of old habits. They don't want to change. Um, you know, generally most people don't like change, but if they've been there forever, those are, you know, that's just the way we've always done it, right? Like that's what mm -hmm. they're like, this is, not, you know, we've always just done it like this. And so they're, they're hard. It's harder to change a habit um or change of behavior once you know they've been there for a long time uh, and that was one of the challenges that i i, I knew coming into the, the group i'm at today you know they they had a lot of tenure and so when i first took on the role i was like wow this, this might be i might be getting in over my head this you know this might be the hardest thing <laughs> i ever did right um but then even looking at the franchises i was thinking man these these franchises at the time were performing as well as, you know, the Toyota store that I came from. Um, and so going in outside of a Toyota store to see, okay, can you apply the same methodologies and mm -hmm. see the same type of results? And, you know, so far, you know, even with the, the shortages and everything, you know, before the shortages happened, we blew the numbers up quickly. Once the shortages happened, you had to, you know, really figure it out right so we've been able to unfortunately i hate to say it but uh, say the word maintain uh, but we've been able to maintain the levels we blew the numbers up to with the shortages and the craziness that's happened this last year um and it's we've been doing good so it's been a lot of fun so um let's let's talk about that one a little bit because um obviously we're still kind of in the in the thick of it so to speak um it, how has it been with with the current landscape um and changing to more of a I'm, I'm assuming that's that's the case at your group as is pretty much any dealership in the country but switching to a used car centric um sort of a mindset or philosophy and what do you think um how how much longer do you think that's gonna that's gonna go on you know for for used cars you know i've uh, i started in used cars so i've always been really you know a fan of it you know i've always been pretty good at it uh, new cars was always seemed super simple for me uh, just because you know you didn't have to worry about sourcing and doing all that stuff so you know early on in my career learning you know what that looked like at carmax um, and then kind of applying some of the same things that i learned there you know outside of it um kind of i feel like it's helped me um you know we went all in early on our marketing strategy on acquisitions um and as a result we've been able to you know maintain you know our inventory levels to a level that you know has helped us stay consistently profitable than than the traditional dealers that i've seen out there um but you know getting a buying team doing all of the necessary things that are important to stay ahead in this environment and currently you know there's some deal there's some manufacturers some oems that are getting better at getting more new car inventory mm -hmm. so i can see where that'll help us get more used car inventory um but for the most part i've got other franchises right now that are just not doing a as good of a job in new car you know trying to get us more new car inventory so i can right. see that used car inventory the tight still continue to be there for quite some time um you know i wish i could say that it's going to be you know 
beginning of this next year that we'll see it a, a you know better you know look but it's it, realistically it's probably towards the end of next year that yeah. we may see a better you know flow of, of inventory coming in but you know like for example you know some of the franchises that i help run you know mercedes and porsche you know with that whole ukraine thing i mean it's you know we, there's a lot of suppliers a lot of suppliers coming out of ukraine so you know when you disrupt that whole thing they, now they got to figure out okay where am i going to get those supplies at if those people are no longer you know in business you know i mean working through the conflict that they're going through i mean it, it's just not you know conducive for you know long-term you know supply like you can't just say okay this is where our supplies are going to be so now you got to figure out okay where are we going to get the other stuff at now that these this is not a viable option we've got to go figure out a different way to get those supplies so i can see new car inventory continually to, to be tight in in those areas um but outside of that i think nissan you know is doing a little bit better job uh, infinity not not so much um so it's you know the, f the franchises i help manage it, those are the, the ones that you know i can see that next year and the next year maybe we may see uh, some light at the end of the tunnel but you know at this point it's just it's just a guess because you just yeah. you just don't know no yeah i agree with you i think this is going for for a much longer run than than anybody had anticipated or expected which brings me to my next question because this is one of the things that i wanted to cover with you um you know i, I figured you'd be probably the perfect person to ask this question to, but, and it has to do with groups and how are we representing our used car strategy? So what is your take? It's, okay, so let me just give you a little bit more context. So when I, it, it's happened often that, you know, dealers, dealership call, dealerships call me or pers dealership personnel calls me asking me about used car strategies. And these groups, man, they don't even have a unified group strategy. They don't even have, some of them don't even have group websites where they have all their inventory on them. And it just, I don't get it, dude. Like, you know, especially in, in this environment, like to me, and I, we did a blog post about this because uh, way early on, because I was like, I, I, and I was saying in there, I was like predicting that groups are going to have to go to a unified used car strategy through a group site and putting a lot of their SEM and, and, and a lot of those efforts through that one platform. Because think about it, if you have individual silos in a market and you're all competing against each other, it gets really expensive. And then you're, you're <laughs> you know, you, you're, you're kind of eating each other's money. But if you go to through a group strategy, now it's simpler, there's less waste. It's a lot, it's more, the monies go longer. I don't know. Do you agree with that? Do you disagree? And if oh, so, I, what would be your strategy? I agree a hundred percent. I think, you know, the problem with smaller groups is they do just that. They all, they act as individual stores when they really need to work as a, you know, a one cohesive team. Like, Hey, look, you got to have one person saying, okay, these are, this is where we're at. Although they still have their own, you know, say so, but you still need to, the marketing strategy has to be evolved around one common goal and then it kind of trickles to your other stores but it should just be one and, and that's kind of how we 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 created our strategy over here um, we are able to cross sell between stores where you know prior to me me arriving you know they they, they you couldn't like it was like uh, 
that's really something they don't they don't do. So um, that's helped us substantially because you know when a customer's at a store, you mm -hmm. know now we open it up to all of our stores. Now the salesperson can hang on to that customer a little bit longer because they mm -hmm. now instead of looking at say a hundred cars, they're looking at five hundred. So makes it make more sense. For and sure. it's and then really you're... painful to watch if if you can't cross sell to watch your your customer walk next door. <laughs> yeah. well, perfect example, you know, I worked in uh, in San Antonio at a, for a group, and I couldn't sell it. You know, and we they had they had like seven stores. They had a lot of used cars, and. I couldn't go and sell a car at the other stores and they couldn't come and sell at my store. And I, I just thought it was the, the goofiest thing and it never so made any weird. sense. Um, but that's why, you know, companies like CarMax, um, they kind of dominate used cars because, you know, uh, there's still a lot of dealers that only sell like what they trade in, you know, like there's a mm -hmm. lot of many like franchises, new car dealers that just, they won't go and buy at auction or figure out other ways to source used cars and they only sell what they trade in. And that's it. That's kind of weird. Which, yeah, which is interesting, especially in this environment, because how are you getting those trades? Right. <laughs> like, good luck. Well, I mean, just drive around. You'll see the dealers that, that focus on that strategy because they have no inventory. They have no cars. Yeah. They have no cars. And then they they look at you and laugh and they're like, well, if you get, you're getting them at auction, you pay way too much. And I'm like, well, you know, at least I've got the inventory and I'm making money and I'm selling cars. So yeah. you keep doing what? your strategy, we'll do ours. Oh yeah. <laughs> the the acquisitions thing we ran into at the beginning of the inventory shortages when it became apparent we needed to reevaluate how we were getting used vehicles. That was one of the first resistance points was you know buying them off of off of the public well that's going to be expensive and then they're gonna and all of the resistance points and or my favorite is we don't want to bring them in the building unless we're gonna buy the car from them so don't call on everybody only call on these specific ones or <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of resistance. Yeah, there. no, it's it's crazy when you hear the stories. You know, <clears> like, oh, I won't, I won't work a car, I won't appraise a car unless they're trading it in. Like, and you're like, wow, okay. <laughs> so, so here, here's a question uh, revolving around that. And I was just talking to Charity about this yesterday, and I want to see kind of what your take is. Do you are you, do you believe in buying every car all the time, or do you believe in just buying the the you know trying to find the right car? And the, the debate we were having is one of the stores that we that, that we um, collaborate with, their their buy percentage is like 90% or something. It's super high, but that's because they only buy, they only set appointments for that specific car that they want to buy and pay the money for it. So what's your you take know, on that? I very much want to buy everything um, because, you know, if I'm, not selling, sense. if I'm not retailing it, I'm wholesaling it and I'm going to make money there. So Right. That's what I don't. <laughs> Get that, man. Like, why would you not buy every single car that you can put? Oh, I don't want 500 bucks. Forget it. Like, what? I don't get it. And it's crazy because I'll still run into that with some of some people that they'll be like, hey, you know what? This this car scares me. And I'm like, okay, well, what number wouldn't it scare you? Let's let's offer them that. And if they take it, good, 
hey, you got an opportunity to make some money in wholesale. So let's do it. And uh, and they look at me like, uh, okay. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> let's go. Let's, let's buy the car. Let's try to see what we can do to put this deal together. So it's crazy. It's, it's you know, but good for them. I, I'm glad, you know, there's dealers out there that, that think that way because – it gives me an opportunity to just continue to dominate. <laughs> take everything, yeah. I buy everything. I hate, my I, way. I hate sounding like that because, you know, I, I don't mean to sound, come across as being arrogant or, or anything like that, but it's just, you know, I want to win and I want to, you know, play this game. And, you know, this is what I've been doing for 20 years. And, you know, it, it's something I like to do. So, so it, here's a million dollar question, Chris. What, is your take on since we're talking about acquisition just just buying whatever trade auction just in general for the for the next year right because i agree with you i think this is going till the end of next year should we be taking more risks and buying more inventory or still trying to stay ultra conservative when it comes to buying inventory so our strategy is i mean it's pretty simple we're you know, if there's an opportunity to, to buy a car and turn it around quickly, that's the game, right? So, you know, we don't want to have a 45-day supply. We want to have, like, a 30-day supply um, so that we can, as long as we're turning it fast, if I start, if we see an increase in aged inventory, you know, then we got to relook at, you know, where we're at. Uh, but, you know, our, our inventory is relatively tight in the sense that, you know, we don't have anything over 60 days old. Um, and we, we might have a handful that are over 45 days old, but for the most part, we're, we're turning them in 30 days. And, um, as long as we can turn them, you know, we're not buying cars that with high, high market day supply, um, or we're not actively sourcing them. If we get them in trade, we're, we're good. Or we, we, we buy them at the, from the street, customers come in and sell it to us from the street. We're, we're buying them, but we're not going to auction to buy those high market day supply vehicles. So. As long as it's got a low market day supply, and we're we're turning we're buying those aggressively, and we're selling those as as soon as we get them. So that's kind of what we've been doing. So a group question now: Do you, what do you guys exchange inventory? And when you do that, do you start the clock? Or if that car has been at one store for thirty days, then in, and it goes to another store, it's there for now. The the time still continues. So we it's a combination. So like from an internal standpoint, we keep the same stamp, stamp on that car. Like if I've got a car that hits day 30 or 45 and it gets transferred to another store, um, that internal clock, we still know how long it's been here, right? But right. What the, from the, that deal, the, the, the new dealer that it gets, they, they have a new clock that starts. So right. okay. we give them an opportunity to sell it as well. So. But right on. They, don't, they get it at a, at a reduced price. They get it like it had, they had just bought it at auction or, you know, off the street. It's not, um, we, we definitely take the right down. So it's, we, we kind of make it, you know, advantageous for that dealer to, to continue to keep trying to market to move it. it yeah. Now, do you, do you have a way to identify, because I've always thought that this would be, maybe we can build this product, man. I always thought there, there, there should be a product that for, that's designed for groups where they can see historically where the cars move better 
and then they, then we can swap, right? So I can call you and be like, hey, man, you have these 10 cars that historically do better at my store, and I have these 10 cars that historically do better at your store. Why don't we just trade now and set ourselves up for success, right? So, we, so we do that to a certain extent, um, like, and it's easier when you have different brands, right? So, you know, if my Infinity store takes in a Mercedes, you know, generally at our, at our Mercedes store, it's going to sell a lot faster. Right. So right. When you look at those same brands, it's super easy to, to identify. But mm -hmm. outside of that, you know, when we look at, you know, your high end cars, you know, generally there's one store that does a little bit better with high end than others. So we generally know we kind of earmark that vehicle and push it over there. Um, and then for like, you know, the, the less expensive vehicles, they do generally a better job at our Nissan store. So, you know, we'll send those kind of cars to our Nissan store. And so we have a, our acquisition team does a really good job of making sure that they're they're plugging the holes where they need to, um, and not taking in on taking merchandise that they know just doesn't move at a specific doesn't move level. well. Yeah. So your acquisition team works on the group level, or do you have one per store? It's at a group level. Okay. What's what makes it makes sense for our group is they're all on the same street, all of our stores. So it's hmm. it's just down the street and within five minutes each. So it makes it real simple. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it's I, I know some stores that do the opposite where everything's individualized and that that has its advantages, but it also poses its challenges, right? Um, oh, yeah. At some point you have to you're gonna have to centralize it though. Don't That's, you agree? Like at some I point agree. you're gonna have to go more even, group level. I, I I agree. There's um you know our sister company They've got like 10 franchises and they're spread out all over and, um, and they do a good job doing that same thing. I think um, there's, there are some times that, you know, some they'll, they'll look at each other's strategy and see how they're pricing and kind of, kind of mirror like who's doing the best and stuff like that. But um, they all meet, you know, regularly weekly. So they, they kind of stay ahead of it, but there are some companies that, don't even do that. Like they're just very much siloed. Hey, this is my store. You do you. We'll do me. And which I think is the goofiest thing ever. I mean, they just work together. They sell even more. It's crazy. It's so much better. So much more efficient, man. Yeah, for sure. It's competitiveness so, taken too far. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm gonna take you down, but we're the same company. All right. <laughs> You're in the break That's room. <laughs> um, no, it's it's funny. I, and I saw I, I saw a post from uh, Glenn Lundy the other day, and it, it just made me chuckle because it's so true. It's like, dude, we're so we're ultra competitive. I'm paraphrasing now, but he said something like, "We're so we're ultra competitive in this business where we're like, I'm taking you down, and you're with the same group, but you're still in the bottom five percent of the nation. So who cares, man?" <laughs> uh, <laughs> You know, I had, a, I had a, a, one of the, the guys I used to work with, he said, I, he made a statement. He said, look, we're doing good, but we're just the king of the losers. And, uh, and I, I see that a lot. You know, when you see people that are competing like that, and it's, you know, there's, they should be setting their highs, highs like they should be looking at the, the, the bigger people outside of not just their franchise, but other OEMs and, you know, seeing what, what other bigger you know, players are in the marketplace. Well, it becomes a distraction competitiveness like 
if if everybody's at the same level and you're trying to compete with everybody, then you get distracted by the the flies around you instead of being brushing them off and moving to the next level. Yeah, you know, there's always a, a higher level to be focusing on and stuff. Yeah, like so even when I was you know at that Toyota store, we were selling a thousand cars a month. I wasn't looking at my local market. We were looking at, you know, I was looking at the the big players. Like, how did Longo Toyota get to over 2,000 cars? Exactly. Right? Yeah. You know, we took that store, you know, when you include our used cars and new cars together, we were like top 10 in the nation. Uh, we were probably the number five most profitable Toyota stores in the country. And, um, and I was just looking, how do I get, how do I get to be the top five in the nation in volume? In addition mm-hmm. to being number five in, in the nation in, in profitability, I want to be, how, how do I get to the volume number too? So it was, uh, it's always trying to look at that next level. Yeah, for sure. So um, kind of switching gears really quick. I want to talk about, uh, about this. I know you've been doing a lot of videos lately that I've seen about the art of the deal, which I've, which I enjoy. Um, because I think, you know, we had a, a, a podcast session earlier this season where I just talked about my frustrations. I think I said in that episode, I was exercising my demons because I see so much frustration on that side of the house. Um, what's your take, man, on, on the impact of COVID with salesmanship in general? I mean, I already feel like there was there, that, that, that art is almost, you know, lost, like, you know, I feel like this industry has become more order takers, but this whole COVID situation is really kind of, I don't know, man, it's, it's done a lot of positive things for the industry, but when it comes to that segment, I think it's been like very detrimental. I think um, for the most part, what I've, I've seen is, I think it's always kind of been there, you know, because when I go into stores, I see it, you know, people that have been there and they sell a lot of cars and you're like, it's not really you selling a lot. It's just, you probably have a pretty decent, halfway decent process. Um, and that's why you're selling that many, but this has been happening even before COVID, right? Like yeah. you see, it's just, it's at a different level now because the, the people that came in and, you know, selling eight, nine cars, you know, instead of making, you know, 40, 30, 40,000 a year, they're probably making 80,000 a year, a hundred thousand a year, just selling that many cars. So when this correction happens where your margins start kind of, you know, going away, um, or not, you're not seeing them as high as they are today, those margins, once those go away, then you'll start seeing those salespeople really mm-hmm. fall out. Like those mm-hmm. 89 car players that, you know, are, you know, beating their chest and like, hey, I'm making good money. Right are going to get a rude awakening, you know, unfortunately. Um, and so that's why I, I kind of keep pushing our guys like, Hey, let's, we got to be better sales professionals. And, you know, I've written a bunch of books, but I've never really talked about, you know, how do you close a deal? What are you doing to, to do, be a better sales professional? And so that's why I started doing this. I started saying, you know what, I'm going to start doing these videos for my team. And, um, and then I just started, I just, one by one every day I'm making a, a goal to just to push one out there and, um, and help these guys and just these little quick, you know, tips that'll help them, you know, just realign with what, what they should be doing instead of just kind of winging it. You know, there's, we have way yeah. too many salespeople in our industry today that have that mentality of I'm just going to wing it because, you know, there's a shortage of inventory. Hey, you know what? Um, they, don't, they don't even know how to negotiate anymore because they just, mm-hmm. um, 
you know, a take it or leave it type of deal. But look, look, I mean, that's it's coming. It's going to come quicker than we think as far as yeah. with margin erosion. Um, so we just got to stay ahead of it. Yeah, you know, I, I, I agree. And what's disappointing to me is, and this is something that Sean Welsh, um, shout out to him, um, uh, kind of posed way early on when this whole thing started. And he was like, dude, if you were ever looking for, a, for an opportunity to pause and reevaluate your business and reevaluate your team and reevaluate just your whole operation, this is, this is a blessing in disguise. And, you know, for those stores or for those groups or those individual dealers that didn't take advantage of that time to kind of do just that. Right. So, so to, to um, you know, to kind of um, reevaluate and assess their business if they didn't do that, man, because what you're saying is spot on. But I think one of the, 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 the issues also on the on the on the other side of things on the management and the leadership side is the training factor, dude, mm-hmm. like. Just we don't, you know, it just doesn't seem like there's a lot of investment on on that part. And I know that that's a generalization, and there are some stores that do an amazing job at it, but there are also some stores that do none of it. Yeah, and then they right. have these really high expectations, you know, for their team, and it's it's ludicrous. Well, you know, and I, I look at it, and you know, I, I had this these struggles with our team as well. You know, like when I look at sales managers that don't even like load their salespeople's lips, they're not like trying to coach them or do a quick role play before they go in on, uh, you know, presenting numbers, Um, just the little things that they should be doing or, you know, taking the TO and and jumping in there immediately or doing an EMI or doing these little basic fundamentals that they should be doing and they just don't, you know, and it's, Mm -hmm. it's one of those things that, even as as good as we all think we we are, you, you just know these little things just aren't aren't happening. You know, and I had a, a I was on a clubhouse like six months ago or something, where I had a dealer, you know, tell me, well, all my guys are doing this and this and that, and I was like, yeah, you know, I just don't believe it because, you know, even the stores that you know the high volume stores that I was at that we were selling a lot. You know, I could I could go into any store and I could pick out, you know, a lot of different inefficiencies pretty quickly. I mean, even even the stores that I'm, I'm helping run right now, I promise you, I could walk in and look at some leads and sit down and on the desk, see how they're interacting and just know that they're not doing they're, they're skipping steps. You know, and it's it's unfortunate that that happens everywhere, even, mm-hmm. even the top players they are they're, they're skipping steps, too. Yeah, for sure, man. But anyway, dude, man, thank you so much for doing this. We really, really appreciate your time. Um, this has been a good conversation. I like we we talked about some really key things that I think the audience is gonna is gonna benefit from. Uh, there is one question that we ask everybody that comes to the show. But before we do that, I did want to talk to you about one last topic, and that has to do with the finance situation. So obviously, there was another interest rate hike last week or yes. the week prior. <laughs> Um, and when that happened, I noticed a decrease of traffic about 67% or so across the stores that I work with, um, immediately. And, um, you know, I, I just doing the math the other day, good credit right now is probably going to be at a 5.96% somewhere in there, you know, rougher credit. You're talking 10% now to get them into a deal. So, I mean, those, that's going to impact our situation. There's no question about it. Um, do, any advice? Do you have any any thoughts on that? Any any tips? I think um, 
you just continue to keep educating your your salespeople. Like, I mean, when I got in the business, you know, that was like a good rate, you know. So it, it, it's just now it's we're going kind of go, going back to when I got in the business um, and just kind of showing them and, and educating them. Like, you know, it's, a, you know, three points on a like someone that has good credit versus, you know, six months ago, they could have had a lot less rate, a lower rate. I mean, from a payment perspective, it's it's not it's not that high. Now, if it was a mortgage loan, you're talking you know thirty years. You're talking right. you know substantial, but you know you're talking an auto loan that that payment's not going to be as high. And so, just educating the, the, the salespeople, edu to educate the customers, Consumer, understanding that right. you know the payment isn't really it's all relative, right? So, you know if you just look at it, you mean know, that, that dollar amount's not gonna be as high as they think it is. They see this high rate and they're thinking, oh my god, it's you know five point nine versus you know three point nine. I mean that rate that payment's not that high. You know, mm -hmm. now if you're looking at you know a hundred thousand dollar car, stuff like that, yeah, there's gonna be a little bit uh, jump, but when you're looking at that price point anyway. I mean, it's not going to matter, you know, that, you know, it shouldn't, right? <laughs> What's if, if, it, if it does matter, you're looking at the wrong car, my friend. <laughs> exactly. Awesome, man. Dude, thanks. Thanks again so much for this. We really appreciate it, man. So there is one question that we ask everybody that comes to the show. And that question is, where do you see the automotive industry headed in the next five years and why? You know, I think um, with, AI, you're going to see a lot of automation in a lot of different areas. And I can see, you know, all those redundant jobs, the, the things that like repetitive tasks that happen inside of a dealership, you're going to see those things go away. I just don't anticipate, you know, a lot of the things that we're doing today that are just so just repetitive. I mean, they're just not going to be here. So if you're in an industry or if you're in a position in our industry that is um, if you see yourself doing a lot of the same tasks over and over again uh, those those uh, positions will go away right on there you have it folks thanks penny for that little uh um <laughs> the freaking garbage <laughs> <laughs> and thanks everybody for tuning in we really really appreciate it that's all the time we have for today and as usual We'll talk later. We only host the well-respected. The vendor Lexus Nexus. We don't sell digital marketing. What you do? We inspected what our DT vendor management. Now more than ever, businesses need more efficient sales. That's why thousands of dealerships trust Four Eyes to help with things like automated inventory email updates and ensuring all of your leads get into the CRM. To try Four Eyes for free, Visit foureyes.io slash dealer talk. That's foureyes.io slash dealer talk.